Hey there, I'm Mariah. And I'm Brian. And this is Retention Chronicles. E-commerce brands are shifting their strategy to retention and customer experience. And so we decided to reach out to top D2C brands and dive deeper into tactics and challenges. But here's the thing, we love going on tangents. I teach Brian all about the latest trends. And I teach Mariah that it's a waste of time. And we discuss all things in the Shopify ecosystem. So go ahead and start your workout or go on that walk and tune in as we chat. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform, improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Hey, Tim. Hey, Mariah. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Tim, I'm Brian. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hello. Hey, Mariah. Mariah. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Hi, Brian. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, Scott. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Got out and played some pickleball today. So that's always a good way to start the day. Jealous. <laughs> we just spent an we just spent an hour on a call with a customs broker. These are like annoying, oh. frustrating things of being an entrepreneur. It's just like sounds brutal. Yeah, just bringing in product from overseas is like mm-hmm. a huge pain in the butt. And there's all these like tariffs and duties going on right now, and it's majorly impacting us and other people like us. Um, so it stinks that we're like these small, small guys just trying to like get it going. And, uh, we kind of unexpectedly got hit with like, it was 12% of our invoice was hit with a tariff. So like, it's a lot. I don't know. You oh my know we weren't anticipating that like in our financial modeling basically. <laughs> uh, and so we're trying to figure that out right now. So that's what we yeah. got going on. Not like the bummer is that the reason for these tariffs is to incentivize people doing business in the U S and then we reach out to U.S. companies, and they all tell us no that we're too small; uh, they won't do business with us. So oh, it's why it's why people do business with Chinese because China will do business with startups. They'll do small amounts. Yeah, oh, I mean, I have tried, I bet, a dozen times to do business in the U.S. and been told no twelve straight times that we're too I'm too small with whatever I was trying to make. So wow. it's it's a tricky spot to be in as a startup in the U.S. trying to manufacture in the U.S. The type of manufacturing we're doing. So you're doing Got plastic it. injection molding. Yeah. So weird. Well, anyway. Yeah. I know that's not what this podcast is about. No, that's yeah. boring stuff. We'll do fun stuff on the podcast. No, I mean that's what's like part of the fun and why we start recording just when we hop on the call. Cause it's interesting to like get kind of the um behind the scenes of whoever we're talking to, like what's going on in their lives. So no, this is interesting. Like I would have no reason to know about no, me neither. We had a similar conversation product. with uh, uh Tenzo T's too when we were talking to them. Southern D to C brand. Well welcome um to Retention Chronicles on this week's episode. We are joined by Tim and Scott. Thank you both for being here with us. We're going to chat all about retention and your most recent endeavor, Paddle Smash. But before we get along to doing so, we'd love it if both of you could say hi, give us kind of your background, how you arrived to um, founding the company Paddle Smash, and how did you guys get to meet each other? Yeah, well, nice nice to meet you both. Thank you for having us on. And I'll start and give a quick and dirty version of my history. Um, I got like, through just a series of lucky breaks, invited to join a 
a venture capital firm in Chicago that was hiring entrepreneurs and residents. So they were like, hey, we're going to try this new thing. We're going to hire a bunch of kind of scrappy young guys, young kids, guys and gals, and give you office space and, and potentially give you money to test out ideas you come up with. So we were brought into the Chicago office. It was like the kind of early stage of that whole open office idea, ping pong tables around and everything like that. We were kind of at the cutting edge of that. And uh, they were like, all right, every week we're going to have a brainstorming session. We're going to come up with ideas for like pain points that people are facing. And one week we came to the table with this pain point of, of cognitive decline. We'd read an article in the New York Times mm. about cognitive decline being a major fear of baby boomers. And we all kind of thought, you know, like, is there a business opportunity there? And we started to explore it and found out that like, there were a bunch of people trying to address it, a bunch of interesting products available in the market, but no one really aggregating them together. So we thought maybe this is the thing, like we, we become the, the go-to store for all things brain health. And so it's like the fall of 2008, a really brutal time to be starting a business, to be fair. This is like start of a recession. Yeah. Um, but the one really fortuitous thing about it was that the, the kind of available space in brick and mortar retail was really great um, because a bunch of people were being cautious about opening new stores. And so we were approached by a store just off of the Magnificent Mile in downtown Chicago a mall had an open a vacancy for that holiday season. And they're like, please just come in. We'll give you super cheap rent. And we're like, this is it. Perfect. So we opened that store and really like from the opening of that, those doors, like we felt like we had something pretty good. Like people kind of flooding into the stores and really interested in the concept. Um, the quick version of that is like over the course of many years, we, we tested a bunch of different concepts around that. We learned that the vast majority of our customers preferred toys and games for a way to work out their brain. Mm -hmm. And then we learned kind of the best type of store, which is an in-mall store. Um, so as we learned that, then we started to rapidly expand. We ultimately grew to have 40 stores across the US. And what we were known for was finding cutting edge product. It was a little bit like a Kickstarter meets brick and mortar retail, where we were like looking for the up and coming ideas, up and coming games and bringing them into our stores and allowing them kind of an optimal environment to succeed. And so I was always on the lookout and that's actually how I met Tim because Tim was the inventor of an, a brand new up and coming game. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so I'll, I'll jump in there. So. Prior to being in the toy and game space, I was a software entrepreneur, was building a software company um, based in Chicago, and it was a very high-tech uh, industry, you know, the opposite of toys and games. Mm -hmm. uh, we were VC-backed, burning a ton of cash, uh, managing big teams, just kind of a very stressful environment to be in. Uh, and during that time period, I had the idea to pursue this like passion, passion project, a side hustle, if you will. I had read an article in Inc. Magazine that had described how Cards Against Humanity came to light. It kind of gave their blueprint for the Cards Against Humanity guys. They happen to be from Chicago and I enjoyed playing that game. So I read that article and I was like, that got me thinking. I, was like, I, I have a game that we've been playing with friends up at Lake Houses for a number of years, just late at night. 
looking for something to do, we had this game that we came up with and everyone always had a ton of fun playing it. And basically the concept was like, you speak in, you say silly phrases and funny, funny voices. So uh, one example would be like, you know, British is the accent for the round and everyone's got to go around and like say something in their British accent. Um, and it just got a lot of laughs more than anything. There was really no point in winning the game. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, set out to bring this game to the, to the world, kind of following the Cards Against Humanity blueprint. I did a Kickstarter like they had done. It didn't blow up or anything. Like you see some of these exploding kittens and whatnot do millions of dollars, but we got funded. It was our first yeah. win. And from there, I uh, was introduced to Scott, actually. So through a mutual connection, had uh, known about his his brand marbles, the brain store had a really good presence in Chicago, kind of knew that they were into looking for games like ours. And um, so we got in touch. And from there, he was the first retailer to actually carry my game utter nonsense. And from there, you know, we got to know each other really well and became good friends. And now we're business partners. There's so much. Um, okay. So first of all, I'm, I'm from Chicago. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I live outside of Chicago right now. Oh boy. Is that Siri? Um, the uh, sandbox industries. I'm very familiar with sandbox industries. I think I, 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 I it's in the West loop, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, a good friend of mine, I was just talking to today was at uh, a company called doggy loop, which yeah, was sure. out of sandbox industries as well. Started I remember, when I was there. Yeah. yeah. I remember Ryan, going Ryan, there. Who's your friend? Uh, his name's Alan Mossbacher. Um, and he was, I think a VP of marketing there at the time, but, um, yeah, small world. I I remember going and meeting him and and just getting the tour of sandbox industries. And that was like revolutionary. Like, Oh, check out this place. It looked amazing. It was in the West loop. Um, and I remember now the marble store because, uh, there's a few, I mean, you were, if you, you said 40, uh, 40 locations. Yeah. So probably all the malls and the suburbs and all that stuff, right. That's where you're at, like Woodfield mall, all that um yeah oh wow okay so a lot of a lot of points i'm sure we know a lot more people than uh than i think sure that's right fun um yeah well okay that's uh makes sense now like the 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 concept uh one thing so uh mariah did you uh look up utter nonsense before this call or no sorry to put you on the spot i didn't no but now i'm gonna do it because i don't know what you're gonna pose well (laughs) well here's the thing it's like what I found really interesting between both of you is that um, the like concepts are a mix of two, three things with a new perspective put on it. So when I first started, it was like, Oh, let's check out this other nonsense. Like the first thing that came to my mind was uh, not cards against humanity, but like apples to apples Mm -hmm. because of, um, okay. Letting, you know, everyone puts a card down, uh, uh, Mariah, do you remember apples to apples or no? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> well, well, it's a, like, I don't know. Like people still play that, um, today. Probably not. I haven't played that in years and years. Um, but I, I guess my question to both of you is I'm kind of going outside the box, but is that, is that kind of like how you have thought about even like previous inventions, which is like taking a concept here, a concept here, a concept here, and then putting a new approach and a perspective of it and uh thinking about it differently than anything else like i i see something similar again we'll get into it with uh, paddle smash but uh is that like a familiar concept to both of you yeah so you know the industry the toy industry is interesting um car or apples to apples was a massive success and what tends to happen is when there's a massive success everyone looks at that as a model 
and they think, okay, well then, and so really for the next 10 years, I, I was in the middle of getting inventor pitches all day long. And I would say half of my inventor pitches were started with, this is like apples to apples, but, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's what we do in the industry is we just do kind of variations on a theme. It's like, I love to cook and there are no new ingredients generally in cooking. There's just rearranging of ingredients. And it's the same thing in the toy industry. There's generally not kind of new elements of a game. There's just a rearranging of the elements to create new games. And I mean, it's a great thing. It, for me, whenever I talk to new inventors or aspiring kids wanting to be inventors, I'm like, listen, you're not inventing the wheel here. This yep. is just like the wheel already is out there. You're just figuring out how to reuse the wheel in a new and creative way. And that's how I've thought about my games. I think it's how Tim thought about his. I mean, frankly, Cards Against Humanity is a variant of apples to apples. It's the yep. arbitrary judge. Um, and so you present and then some arbitrary judge decides which one he or she likes the most. Um, and there's, you know, there's probably 50 games in the market right now that, that use that as their mechanic. Um, and like every few years, there's some new big mechanic that kind of disrupts the industry and everyone tries to be a fast follower of that mechanic. Yeah. I, there's a, um, there's this book called, uh, where big ideas come from and it's by Steven Johnson. And it's like a, um, uh, it's that concept where mostly it's just more exposure to anything leads to more and more ideas because it's just about connecting the dots. And if you have limited dots to connect ideas, uh, will, will be a little more difficult to achieve, but the more exposure you get, the more ideas. And then that's just connecting those dots together. Um, but, uh, Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't think that uh, I didn't see the connection between cards against the humanity and apples to apples, but now I do um, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's how we think about the product we're working on right now too. Honestly, it's a funny thing when you're coming up with ideas, how often it happens that you like put it out to the world yeah, and then you find out there's like 15 other people at the same time <laughs> that have come up with something similar. And it's just like, I don't know how to explain it, but there's something that happens like it gets into the ether and people pick up on it um, for whatever reason. I think ours is very obvious. You know, we're coming out with this new game called Paddle Smash that combines elements of pickleball and spike ball. Well, both of those have been massive successes. I mean, pickleball, especially it's the fastest growing sport in North America. And so, you know, Tim and I were brainstorming ideas of what we wanted to do next. We came up with like even sketched out a rough version of this idea. And the next week we were invite in, um, introduced to an inventor who had come up with this game. Um, and so it's just like, it's actually kind of a beautiful thing. Sometimes it can be frustrating because you're like, all right, I've got this new amazing thing. You launch it and then you find out someone else did right at the same time. But for me, I think it's beautiful. I'm like, I love when things get in the ether and it's kind of like this weird thing where we've got sort of this connectivity um, and I mean, right now, definitely in the ether is pickleball. And I think definitely in the ether is spike ball. And we just took those two ingredients and rearranged them and took kind of our favorite elements and smashed them into this one thing. Yeah. Spike, uh, spike ball is based or was based out of Chicago as well, too. Right? They were, yeah. That's yeah. Right. My retail stores, we were one of the very first to carry them. Hmm. Um, so I got to ride that wave. It was just fun to see their success and how it happened. It felt fast to me. I'm sure in their spot, it was like 10 years of, of slogging along, yeah. not fast, I'm sure, but God, it is a really great success story. So go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. You go ahead, Brian. I was going to ask, um, 
Uh, a big question here, but I, I think I'm most curious about this because um, you've developed multiple games um, throughout the last, what, what was it like, would you say 10 years or so? More 18. than that? 18? Yeah. yeah. What's changed the most about um, executing, getting the game into the hands of the target persona? Again, this we can go in so many different directions, but what comes to your mind when you think about what has really changed the most? Well, I'll say you know, starting from back in the day, the way that you would typically launch a new product is this is almost a pre-Amazon, uh, was that you'd go the kind of mom-pop um, specialty hobby game route. Yeah. And you've got to start there and get into these one-off stores, get some traction, years of sales track records. From there, then you may, may get a meeting with a buyer from like a Target or Barnes & Noble, you know, one of the bigger players, but they wouldn't look at you if you were just launching a new idea. They wanted to see some level of traction. Along came Amazon. So that's a big you know, level setter now, because now you don't need to be selling into anyone. You can set up your own Amazon store and you're automatically plugged into a number of consumers who can buy your product. They can review it. They can give you reviews. Um, that's all data that buyers across, you know, all industries are looking at and they can look at. And it's really like a breeding ground for them to understand like what trends are happening and what do they want to potentially bring into their stores. Um, you also have the Kickstarter right route. So that's again, like a very visible way to launch a product and then just see, did it get traction? Did it get sales? Did it get, you know, what is that? How's that doing? That's another one. So you've shortened the cycle from launching your own product to be able to get it into, if you're wanting to go into retail distribution, um, and you can show some of these things where it's like, Hey, you know, this, this, this is happening. This is something that people want. I've got, you see the reviews, here's my sales track record. Uh, obviously Shopify websites. Now you can, you know, create your own storefront. You can drive traffic using social media to, you know, so you can build a very nice business without ever going the retail route, which I think when DTC first started, I think that was the goal, uh, was mm -hmm. that they're just going to control their own destiny and only go direct. I think you're seeing now it's this like Omni approach where you're wanting both, you know, the retail strategy as well as your own direct direct strategy. Uh, and so, so that, you know, that that's kind of like the way things work today. And that's what we're doing. So we're starting out with our own Shopify website. We're starting out on Amazon and we're going to use those platforms then to hopefully which you've fortunately we've already got traction with retailers um, to be getting into, you know, the retail market. So is that still the fit? Like, I don't want to say finish line because there's still so much to do, but getting into the big box retailer, like it sounds like that hasn't changed though. It's a different direction to get there, but it sounds to me like that's still a place that you want to be. If you're someone like Paddle Smash. Yeah. But just because the volume that they can do, I, I think it, does it put and more it's pressure more, on you it's with manufacturing? Sorry? I said it obviously puts more pressure on you with manufacturing needs, no? Like we just talked about before the start. In of the... terms of like the size, the volume that you need to do and yes. that. You do, but like 
I'll just say those are probably good problems to have, right? Yeah. If you've got a big purchase order, like I think you'll find a way to finance it. Uh, but yeah, I think those big box retailers, and they have a lot more leverage now because I think just all of the big boxes that have gone out of business, you know, so now it's like, mm. at least in the towing game space, it's like Target, Walmart, Barnes and Noble. Like as far as ones that like do real serious volume that are going to move the needle, um, those are kind of it. And so I would say yes. I mean, and then for us, you know, we're, we're not necessarily going after with Paddle Smash. It's more of like the outdoor retailers. So it's like Dick Sporting Goods, Shields, Academy Sports. Those are some of the bigger players in that space. But yeah, I think it is. I mean, I just say like, you know, these people have, these companies have, you know, in some cases, 1700 stores in Target's instance. I mean, they're just doing massive volume. I mean, like for my game under nonsense, just total side note, like we got in almost like shortly after Scott took us in. So we went straight from like launching into mm-hmm. 1700 stores, which is crazy. Uh, that doesn't happen typically. So there's a lot of learning there. But when I look back at that, that was awesome. Like, I wish I could do that with everything. <laughs> it's my answer <laughs> as much as it's difficult to do. But you're, you're highlighting. So a shift has been that the targets, especially of the world, have been more willing to take chances on brand new products. But it also highlights the risk for a, a brand new company because while Target will take the risk, that risk, they're still protecting their downside. Um, and so they'll only put in these small purchase orders and they can immediately cancel. So mm-hmm. they may say to you, you're going to need this many units for the fourth quarter. We want to launch August 1. And then in September, they may say, it's not doing well enough. We're canceling the rest of the year. And you're already on the hook for all that inventory. Um, and that is the risk. And it's why we're proceeding with caution with, with mass market, with yeah. our product. Um, we would rather wait to get in there and build at least enough awareness so that it's not, I mean, because you really are, you're putting yeah. it on the, on the shelf and praying that people will <laughs> notice it um, because you are not in control of that anymore. Um, and so we really are being cautious about this and trying to get enough awareness first to at least have some brand recognition when it goes into that that mass market retail. Would you say that's the stage that Paddle Smash is in, right? Like you're you're building that awareness, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say like you're always we went stage. into this thinking <laughs> we went into this thinking we're going to hold off on any brick and mortar retail opportunity until at least the spring of this next year. Uh, we were like. This is our stance because we want to build up awareness. And then Dix came to us. Well, we we presented to Dix a few weeks ago, and they were like, "We want to expedite this. We want to bring it in for mm. this fourth quarter." They got really excited, and I think our plan sort of went out the window. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit like the Mike Tyson line: "Like everyone has a plan until they get yeah. punched in the mouth." Well, like everyone has a plan until they get kissed on the lips too. Like, <laughs> like sounds good. Let's do it. Like we, we, we're going for it. So, you know, we're breaking our own rules a little bit, but we are, it's a test with them. It's only 20 locations. It allows us to do a little bit of AB test with them. So it's very little inventory risk for us. And overall, I think it gives us all a chance to learn a lot before we would go into more stores. Right. Uh, tangent. What's the, I don't know why I have to define that this is a tangent. What's the, uh, what's the price uh, for the consumer? Yeah, so it's $199.99 retail. So it's a higher ticket item um, for kind of toys and games, especially. Mm-hmm. In the outdoor game space, there are there are quite a few products around that range. Um, lots that have been very successful. So it doesn't 
you know, we think we can be very successful at that price range, but it is yeah. a little, you know, there's an inventory risk because of the cost of that. Now, what's your expectation? Um, like, I'm just imagining myself as a consumer. So walking in the decks, do you think the consumer doesn't know about Paddle Smash, sees it and says, you know what, let's try it out? Or do you think the path is more likely they've seen it somewhere else and recognized it from somewhere else? And then it's the, the uh, uh, it's, you know, you're trying for availability, mass market availability, and oh, it's there. I've seen this before. Let's try it out. Do you think it's that path, or what's easier? What do you think about? Because it's like a marketing play, right? Like you got to put more yeah, on brand well, awareness side, and then you I mean, see it, and then you buy it. Or is it like I don't know anything about it? Oh, this is interesting. I'm going to try it. Because we're so new, it's probably the latter of that. Yeah. Somebody's coming in and they're not familiar with it. That would be the assumption at this point. Uh, that being said, you know, the nice thing about games in general is that there is a, an inherent viral coefficient because if you're playing a game, you're generally playing it with somebody else. Yes. And maybe you're bringing it to a party. Uh, you're seeing it being played out you know, in this case, like you're seeing it being played. So that's one thing we really have going for us with this type of a product, especially, uh, is that it's just. It, it's a very visual product. And like, if people were walking around playing it, you, you're playing at the park, like you're saying, oh, what is that? And, you know, you're maybe going and buying in a store. I mean, we're seeing that a little bit, even with like, we only launched like two weeks ago, uh, but we did have with Scott living in, 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 uh, in Utah near Salt Lake. He went to like a local festival where he had it out and had people playing. He did a little pop-up at a Shield store. And it's just funny like without really trying, basically, um, here we're getting like almost all of our sales are from Utah. So there, yeah. there has to be this correlation of like, you know, people have bought it in a particular location and now they're playing it. And so then it's just getting picked up by other people who probably have seen it or played it. Um, and then the other thing to your point about like, are people going in the stores not knowing what it is? That's the beauty of cell phones these days. I mean, we have QR codes on our packaging just in general, like if I'm at a store and I'm like, oh, what's this? I can just whip up on my phone and I'll just look it up yeah, search and just see what it's all about, you know, and just see like we've got, obviously we're on social media, people can see it being played. So that's another just beauty of technology today where, um, you know, even if you're not familiar to it, if people aren't familiar on shelves, they can kind of quickly just look it up when they're standing in front of it and see if it's something they're interested in. And I'll just add, I think this is also part of the reason why we picked the kind of two ingredients we picked is that they are so well known that they become anchor points. In, in my store, when we'd have a customer come in, one of the things we told our employees to do was always look for an anchor point that would ground someone to that product. So they would always say some product that was like that product. And the person would go, oh, I get it. Okay. So it's like Trivial Pursuit or it's like Scrabble. Well, our package bold front and center says pickleball meets round net or pickleball meets spike ball. And so I think, you know, enough people know those two products well now that it's an intriguing idea. They're like, ah, I love this sport. I love this sport. I mean, our most common comment on our social media posts is my family loves spike ball and loves pickleball. This seems perfect for me. And I think there's just enough people out there that are like that, that we'll be able to get the ball rolling a bit just with that. I mean, it may is, maybe is a small market, um, but I think it's enough of a market to get the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, 
it's the same concept. Like, so Mariah, you and I were talking about, we've been working on uh, Malomo messaging and, and positioning. And it's the same concept. Like you, you have to figure out where the anchor is. So the customer comes to a website and purely like uh, in, understands in two seconds what it is. And you have to anchor yourself to something that they already know or a category that they already know. And then once you do that, and then like the next step is, okay, can we create a new category now that people know this uh, to stand out more? Uh, totally get it. Uh, Mariah, have you ever played pickleball? So I have, yeah. Um, it was in college, but I think it was like, just it was just with friends. So like not like competitively or yeah. Like formally. Yeah. And like gym class in high school. <laughs> it's all around me and I have not played yet. Um, why is it, why, why all of a sudden in the last few years is it trending? Is it just the pandemic that, because obviously it's been around before then, like what's. Yeah, that's a good question. Like what caused the tipping point? Um, yeah. Pandemic certainly helped. I think everyone was searching for something to do. I, you know, I think there is just this tipping point concept where enough people become aware of it that it tips over. And what that tip caused was a bunch of a bunch of uh, cities and towns building their own courts. And when you have access to courts like we do now, it then can just facilitate that growth. Um, but it is amazing the rapid growth over the last four years. Like it is like hockey stick growth. Um, you know, you see like LeBron James now investing in pickleball. Yes. Like it's it's like real now. And, like there are some reasons why it's as a sport catching on, and I'd say like ex- accessibility across a broad range of ages is the mm. biggest. Um, where tennis is very limiting. Um, you know, the serve in tennis is hard to hard to do, and if you're not matched well with the person you're playing on a serve perspective, you just get dominated. Um, and then also it's just a lot of court to cover. And so as you get older, it's like harder and harder to cover that much space. So you shrink the court down dramatically and make it so it's an underhand serve that almost always goes in and everyone can execute. And you like immediately uh, eliminate two of the biggest limiting factors for, for why people don't play tennis. Um, so now it's like in my local community, they've converted half of our tennis courts into pickleball courts they just built four more tennis or pickleball courts i mean it is real and it's taking over tennis i'm not saying it's anywhere near the size of tennis it's nowhere near that size but it i think it will be i think if we could fast forward 20 years from now like it's going to be a a real sport rivaling rivaling tennis well i could see like the more people talk about tennis the more people talk about pickleball the more people talk about pound smash, like that's yeah, I like it. Uh, yeah. I can yeah. see yeah. that, right? Especially if you look at if you look at tennis too, right? You had the was it Serena Williams that was retiring, uh, Roger Federal re- retired. Um, I think there was something else. I don't know. I feel like there's been a lot of buzz around tennis, which then has transpired to uh, pickleball mm-hmm. and so forth. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, well, maybe I mean, we talk not, more. I don't think pickleballers are like we need to take over tennis. It's not no. that. I just like it's the growth of this amazing sport that's really accessible. I mean, I love it. I go and play almost every day. It's just really like, and it's a great community experience. Yeah. Um, you just like play pickup style and you go and put your paddle on a wall, you rotate in. So it's really great. And, and we believe that our product will be able to ride the coattails in many ways, that movement. Some of our early sales have been people that are buying it to be able to set up outside of the pickleball courts um, because the courts are so busy. And you're sitting around waiting to get in. Waiting. It's just a game to kind of oh, keep you active and warm while you wait yeah. to get in and play. Oh. 
Yeah, I would say if I had to guess, like, I don't know why the turn happened, but I think it, it of pickleball be, becoming more popular, I would say the age range and the low impact, like, on the, the body. Yeah, of the body in the sport, right? Like, because I think a lot of people with the pandemic were like looking for something that is low impact and can be played with many different people. And I don't, I think now just with the pandemic, people are way more body centric of like taking care of ourselves. And so pickleball, like we were, we were growing up playing it in gym because it's easy to catch on to as well. So you I think it's pickleball in gym class. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. yeah. Where did you grow up? New right. Jersey. New Jersey. Interesting. Yeah. Made it there. That's cool. Uh Oh, second market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me know. I'll uh, shout you guys out. The weather. Gym yeah. class. <laughs> yeah, the weather. yeah, but so we'd play like and like backgammon. It's a um or badminton, not get backgammon. Um, okay. so I just played backgammon with my grandma last week. <laughs> so that's why it's top of mind. <laughs> but badminton, like they're very they're they like appeal to the masses because it doesn't matter. Um, you know if you're, you know not extremely athletically inclined like tennis might require you to be because you can Mm -hmm. have um it's easier and it's more accessible so i think that's why it's blown up so much and same with um i see the appeal of paddle smash because like you said scott you can take it off the courts and you don't it removes that barrier of needing a court to play on and now you can just transport it wherever you want to go like a beach or a park or whatever Um, yeah it makes morning in this this morning, I went and played pickleball, and I'm playing against like seventy year old seventy year olds, and actually, like it's very competitive um, because it is like a game a lot about brains over brawn. Um, like if you're smart with your strategy, you do not have to be really physically. Mm-hmm. I mean, fit is helpful, but like phys- physically agile the way you do with tennis. Yeah, um, and in fact, I'd say like it feeds into the origin story of our product. I, I, I've been talking a lot. I want to hear Tim tell the origin story because it's kind of a fun one and it actually like feeds right into what we're talking about. Yeah. So if I go with that guys, go, go for it. Tim. Yeah. So uh, there is a, a gentleman by the name of Joe Bingham. He is, uh, he has seven kids, six boys, and he lives up in Ogden, Utah. And he's a structural engineer by trade. And his family, um, they all love playing pickleball, but pickleball courts are like 20 minutes away from their house. Like a lot of people that are into pickleball right now, it's like kind of hard to find courts. Um, the courts are always crowded. And he, uh, his family loved, used to love playing, playing spike ball. But Joe's a little older now. Spike ball's kind of had their moment with their family and they're just all into pickleball now. So Joe, just being an engineer and a tinkerer, he was like, I like, I want to figure something out that we just play in our backyard together. You know, and they, they, they do a bunch of trips up to like Bear Lake and they go on vacations together and always looking for something. So that's what he did. He just started tinkering in his garage as an engineer. He's just got like a CNC machine and a router that he's, you know, familiar with using. And he just started creating prototypes of what he thought, you know, could be a good idea, which was kind of combining these two worlds of, of spike ball and pickleball. And he eventually created one that he took around to like neighbors and obviously played with his family and invited friends over and uh, it played really well. And they had a ton of fun with it. So for like the past two years, that was like where, where it was. And he'd wanted to bring it to market 
but just kind of didn't have the know-how. And um, that's where he, you know, was put in touch with Scott through kind of a mutual connection. Hmm. And um, so Scott went and checked it out. He, as he mentioned, we'd, we'd been kind of circling around a concept similar to this anyway. So it was a bit of like a eureka moment when uh, he saw this. And, uh, and so, you know, Scott saw it and then told me I need to come see it. And so uh, same thing, you know, came out and played it. And once Scott and I played it and uh, we just were like, yeah, there's, there's definitely something here. And so that was the, the kind of origin stories of, of Paddle Smash. That's amazing. And so can you walk us through the, um, well, just uh, your two responsibilities at the end of the day, like how do you divide up who works on what? I'm trying to figure that out. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can yeah, do it here right now. Do you want to do that? conversation last week uh, to be like, I think we're getting to the point where we need to do that. You know, because like when you're an early startup, oh, there's yeah. just so much to do and it requires, it's just like whatever fire is lit, like, hey, like you hop on that, like I'm taking care of this. And so sure. there's a lot of just dividing and conquering. And um, so now I think that we're getting into it. So Scott is like a very creative person. Uh, he's a really good artist and just he's just like a very creative person. I'm not as creative and I'm certainly not as artistically talented as him. Um, and so he's got maybe a little bit more of like the front of house brain for like okay. marketing and sales and, you know, the web things with the website and whatnot. Whereas like I'm a little bit more task oriented. Um, so things operational wise, um, finance wise, you know, dealing with like our warehouse and whatnot. So more of like called back a house. So I'd say that's kind of it, if, you know, for, uh, for a mullet, Scott's Scott's the party in front. And I was gonna, I was gonna say it sounds like Scott gets to work on the or front. I'm, or thing. sorry, Tim's what is the, it? Tim's the business party in the front. front. I'm partying the back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm I'm the business in front. Scott's the party yeah. in the back. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay, so Tim does the boring stuff, and I do the fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you looked out, out on Scott. that one. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into like panel smash a little bit in terms of like uh, if we can go into numbers or what you would like to at, at the end of the day. Um, so you're running D to C. You also are on Amazon as well and uh, retail, big box retail, and I would say probably uh, mom and pop store uh, stores as well. A yeah. little bit are, here and there, but this bit. is not—it's not something we're pursuing. It's okay. sort of a, if they ask, we will probably work with them. But you can't—you do open a can of worms there. Um, okay. Yeah, they're good for building momentum, but they—the juice sometimes isn't worth the squeeze. I was going to say it's there's probably a lot of that need. Is, I, I used to be a specialty retailer, but I we we can be a headache specialty okay. retailer. Yeah. So if you were gonna uh, wave the magic wand, like what's a great percentage of sales that you're looking for when you're looking at big, big box retail, D to C, and Amazon? Like, would you want it to be 50-50? Would you rather just say 100% big box, or like, tell me a little bit about if I could magic wand? Box? If I could magic wand it, I would say it's 100% D to C because our margins are so much better. But okay. the reality is, I think we're probably likely to follow the, the same pattern as other success stories in the space. So Spikeball would be one, CrossNet would be another, and they tend to fall 50-50, D to C versus, uh, versus retail. And do you think you put your focus on 50-50 or does one take up a lot more time and resources than the other? And why and why not? Um, I think the resources are probably pretty evenly split, split between they? the two. Um, there's annoyances of the wholesale but that's usually just at the beginning where it's like getting in and getting the paperwork done. But once you're in, it's a little bit like you get it in there and they kind of do the work after that. It's not always the case. There's, there's stuff, but 
Uh, but the DSC stuff is just, you're always having to keep your eye on that ball. Um, yeah. So, uh, but the margins are much better on DSC. So there's yeah. just like, it's a balancing act. And I would say, yeah, we'll probably target that as our ultimate balance between the two sides. So of the do you have any marketing, I don't know, like aware, like the, we were talking about awareness and marketing programs today um, to help with awareness uh, to get people to the DTC brand. Like what are you doing today when it comes to that? Yeah, lots of things. I'd say one that I think has us the most intrigued is probably, and this is again, learning a lot from the success stories ahead of us. There's been some great pioneers. Yeah. Um, and luckily, like I've made friendships with those companies, so has Tim. And so we're able to kind of ask them questions. It's a generous industry um, where people are like, hey, like rising tide raises all ships. Like, yeah. Um, and Not so, yeah, I think the big thing that they've both found is that as Tim said, inherent in, in this type of game is just that virality because people see it being played and they want to know about it. I mean, genuinely, if I were to go out to my local park and start playing it, people will always come up and ask about it. Invariably want to know where I bought it. Um, and there's just like some nice part about giving an incentive to someone to tell someone where they bought it. And also you get a little paid back. So we've got a program on our website right now uh, we're, we're using an app, kind of a Shopify app called Snowball. Um, and the way Snowball works is it's basically a widget on your website. We call it Paddle Cash. It rhymes with okay. Paddle Smash. So um, but the idea of Paddle Cash is if you are, you upon purchase immediately get sent a QR code. You're immediately made an affiliate for us. Um, whether you not wanted to or not, you get to be one. Um, you don't have to use it, but you would could take that QR code and anytime you're out playing, if someone asks you about it, you can offer them 20 bucks off. And if they buy off of your QR code, you get 20 bucks back. And I think that's just like a great way for us to start to spread the word is to incentivize people to be talking about it, um, get them a little bit money of, of money back for doing it. Um, so that that's one that got, has got me really yeah. excited. It takes some effort just to kind of get that initial momentum. Um, so like, how do you even get those first purchases? And we're figuring that out. It's a little bit like we send a lot of free product out there um, right now. Like we're finding people in the space and especially we'd say in the pickleball space that we can see product with. And we get two things. We get content back that we could use on our social channels and we get them out playing it and then people asking them about it. And yeah. I'd say those two things we think will help us to get enough momentum. Yeah. Uh, That's, Mariah, well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Wait, ask I was a gonna, question I, and then I'll follow well, up. Well, I was going to ask you, what was the, um, when we talked to Alipop, what was the uh, widget that they used that was more about like post a video on oh, TikTok? Um, bounty. Bounty. Yeah. Yeah. Bounty. Um, yeah. So, that's was there a follow up or well or that, just, or that, just... Uh, that might be a, a good I I mean this is not a time to uh, give ideas <laughs> to uh, a company but uh, I'm curious that like that might be another idea because I think that was uh, pretty automated for the influencer affiliate right that makes that purchase to um, I'm uh, writing that down that sounds compelling that's yeah. also what we we just need content yeah this that's... is like you see it being played online you want to know more. So we're just trying to get people playing it online or yeah. in public too. But yeah, they had it. So a little bit of background. Alipop. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of background on it. We talk about it in our last episode, um, our last merchant episode with Olipop. And so their 
post-purchase email. So like I ordered from Olipop to see the whole experience because that's what Malomo does, right? We're all about retention in those transactional emails. So after you order the, you know, if you send out through Klaviyo or Attentive, um, those those post-purchase emails saying like your order's confirmed, your order's on the way, your order's delivered, all of those. Um, what they had was the platform widget, Bounty. And so it's right under there. It's like your order's confirmed. Here's, I think they had a referral pop-up and then Bounty. And that was pretty much all they had on the order confirmation page. And so obviously being curious, um, I signed up for it myself and it's super easy. So more than willing to tell you about that. But what they do is they pay a user to create TikTok content and you, of course, give them the rights to like reshare it if they, um, if they so choose to. But it's organic because obviously it's, um, it's through like a, a person's account rather than coming from the Olipop um, creator or, co- or company page. And so definitely a great platform um, to look into. It could definitely yeah. work really well with what you guys are doing with Snowball. And it's interesting too. My, one of my high school friends actually is the founder of Snowball. So when you said oh, cool. it, I was like, oh my God, that is so wild. Um, yeah. We've chatted with him. He's a good guy. Noah? Is- yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. A- this is so funny. That. Wow. This yeah, just social gets yeah, this yeah, it's also snowball. Smaller. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's doing a really great job with that. He is. Yeah. So he, I mean, we were childhood best friends, like growing up and everything oh, and, um, rode together in high school. So shout out Noah and uh, snowball, but so that affiliate marketing is definitely something that I think when I think about games, the market hits like that makes a ton of sense to me because I know if I like spike ball, I didn't really hear about it until one of my friends brought it to some, I don't even know, like some um, barbecue. Right. And then like everyone's playing it. And then I, it started popping up everywhere. And I'm from New Jersey, like I said, so at people, I started seeing it more and more and on the beach and I could see the same thing with paddle smash of, I think too, on your website, you have testimonials and it might've been that mm-hmm. day that you brought it to the festival or, the park or whatever it was Scott but um like one testimonial was like oh I, I saw it at the park and like went home immediately was like I need to buy this and playlist so I think there's a lot of it makes sense to me from a consumer point of view that if you see someone playing a new game it like catches your eye and then capitalizing on that for this like game and toy space as a consumer it makes a ton of sense to me yeah I I think you know it just takes a lot of luck to get something to move. It's just, uh, it does. I've tried hundreds of times to get products off the ground. Some of them have, and some of them haven't, and a lot of it's luck, but I think Tim has a great line, which is just that you're trying to spread out your surface area of luck. Mm-hmm. And so just like, I like that. we're trying to get product out there and hope that something catch. And it's a little spray and pray, but I think it's more <laughs> strategic than that. I think we're like very strategic about where we're seeding this And then, you know, there is a little bit like hope, hope it catches, but again, the pioneers in the space, it's been that they've like spread the word and then it started to catch with a few of those people they spread it out to. And then it just kind of gets enough momentum. It's like a train, like it takes a lot of motion. It takes a lot of energy to get the train going, but once it gets going, it holds the momentum pretty well. Yeah. I do want to ask too. So you had mentioned the, that you're looking for people to kind of give away free product and then have that add to that momentum. I feel like most or a lot of 
founders might be hesitant to do so, like give away free product. Would you agree with that? Or is that just from like a consumer point of view? I feel like people would be hesitant. Tim's going to gonna say yes. And Scott's going to say no. That's how that works. <laughs> I actually Good. think we're aligned here. I mean, so are, are founders weary of giving away their product? Is that the question? No, I, I actually would not say that's the case because to me that that is just one of these like, tried and you know proven ways of getting the word out there. I think what we've learned is that you need to be selective with that and, and be targeted because it gets pretty easy once you get in that mindset of like wanting, like this person could seem like a good fit. Like next thing you know, like, I don't know, you've given away half of your inventory. And <laughs> I, I think what we're trying to do is like be very measured and targeted with who we are wanting to give product to, and then also have there be some sort of like, at least verbally, what they're going to do with that product, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, because we, I mean, I can give examples. We looked into a couple different like influencer platforms where you go sign up because you're an influencer and, you know, then you sit, you kind of post to that group of people and it's thousands of like, Hey, here's this product. Like, do you want to, are you interested? Yep. And so like we looked into that and I don't know, that feels more like people are just like trying to get free stuff. (laughs) You know, like I think it's true. And, and even if they did post on it, I'm like, I don't know, Larry out in, you know, Kansas is probably not our target demographic, you know, just Larry didn't. didn't, Yeah. Sorry, Larry. (laughs) Or like Sarah, the (laughs) food blogger want to be, you know, I, is her, is her audience really, really going to be that interested in, I, so anyway, it just like, we realized like, okay, you know, we, let's go find five or 10, like that we just think of are like fit our brand and yeah. we're going to go and try to like really coddle that relationship and nurture that relationship into something meaningful. And I think that's where we're landing on right now. And so we're, we're currently in the process of trying to get that established. Let's talk a little bit about, well, retention. And I feel like it's, um, right. Like you're, you're in the mindset of retention. Like you just want to sell as many, uh, paddle smashers as possible right now. And I think about retention, but obviously we all know the benefits of D2C is that you can understand who these customers are that are buying from you. Um, at this point in time, right? There's only one product that you sell, which is Paddle Smash. Like, have you had those thoughts of, all right, do we, uh, do we allow like uh, additional, like you sell additional balls, additional paddles um, as add-ons, upsells? Is that a conversation where that you've had yet or you're just not there? Uh, we've had it, but we're not there. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of both. Like we talk about it. We recognize that there will be a long-term business opportunity to have additional um, SKUs to sell but we're not there yet. I think we want to keep our focus on the thing that we're trying to sell right now. And like, we have not sold that thing yet um, and enough to kind of be thinking about kind of a long-term strategy, but we do recognize the opportunity there. I think where we think about retention most right now is just making sure people have a really good experience with the game. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the, the big worry here is that like most games in this category, they take just a little bit of time to figure out. Um, like it, it, uh, honestly, every time I played this game with anyone, there's five minutes of awkwardness where you're like, <laughs> in the no beginning. one quite gets it. And you're trying to like, trying to figure out the rules and then it clicks. And when you see a click, 
you just see the change and everyone's like, okay, now I get it. This is really fun. And we just need to get people through that first five minutes. And so we're a lot of what we're trying to do in our follow-up emails post-purchase is to help them through that five minutes of awkwardness. Um, so we've filmed a, a product how to play video using just like casual players. Um, this is not like the pros like diving all around. This is like casual play. Here's how to play in under two minutes. And we just like hit it hard. Here are the yep. basics and kind of get people through that. Um, and it's very visual. There's no talking. It's just like, you'll see it and there's titles on screen. So really that's what we're doing a lot of is just how to make sure everyone has a very positive experience out of the, out of the box. The problem though, is that do you know if uh, people are having a positive experience or not? Well, that's a good question. So yeah, I think oh man, my watch <laughs> keeps thinking I'm talking. Well, that's your watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I mean, I think that you can do some post-purchase surveys. Yeah. Um, like, you know, did you figure it have out? Have you done that or no? Is that, yeah. have you so, done that yet or no? Post-purchase surveys? We, we don't know for that. certain how okay. people are doing. I mean, what we're, what we are seeing is like people sending us videos of them playing it and playing it right. Yeah. Um, like one of the like, okay. I'm sure this is the case with anyone that makes product, but like one of the best things is seeing your product out in the wild when you didn't know the person that bought that thing. Like mm. <laughs> uh, I was at a, I was at a friend's house recently and like was looking at their game shelf. I bizarrely always do this. And I saw utter nonsense on the shelf that's and I'm awesome. like, that's awesome. That's Tim's game. Like I sent Tim a photo of it and it's just like so fulfilling. Well, I had a buddy. So talking now paddle smash, I had a buddy send me a text, like a screen grab of a text that his friend had sent him basically saying, check out this new game. I just came across paddle smash. I mean, we're two weeks old and nice. like already like friends are being told about this product. And he had no idea that this guy knew me. And it's just that like, there's that. And so he sent him a video of them playing it on a houseboat in Lake Powell, Utah. Um, and they like, were playing the right rules. They had like followed the QR code on our packaging to be taken to the video and they figured out how to play. We're doing a lot of outreach to our early purchases, purchasers to find out how they found out about it and how it's going for them. Um, so I think that's going to just be a lot of Tim and I kind of boots on the ground yeah. following up and asking. Yeah. That'll, that'll be really exciting. I mean, it already sounds like it is right. Just getting those texts. And that reminds me, our co-founder um, of Malomo had gotten a text from, I think it was his cousin or something. And it was like, I bought this and then saw that it was like a really great experience post-purchase. And then saw that it was Malomo and like sent it. It was like, oh my God, dude, I had no idea. And so like that, those little affirmations of like, oh, you're checking out the the game or the service, whatever it is, it, it feels good. Right. And so it, it's it sounds so like satisfying. It's very, yeah, it is very, the best. Yeah. Very exciting time. So you guys send the QR code. I wanted to ask this, so I'm glad it came back up, but the QR code, it, does it go to that video of how to play or what are you sending people to? This is the video on the homepage, right? That it has the captions on the top it says like it pauses the video is that what it is yeah so there's a, a few so we, we have oh, a few. qr code on the on the packaging so uh so that's why you know when people first get it they can scan like how to play and it takes them to directly to uh the website under like our how to play section that like explains the rules and whatnot to them um yeah so, so the front of the packaging has a qr code that's like the hero video we call it mm. That's which is like the marketing video. It's just make, meant to pump you up and make it look really attractive. So we've yeah. got like 
attractive people on the beach in Santa Monica playing the game. Um, that's the front of the packaging QR code. But then in four more spots on the packaging, it's the how to play video that it's linked to. Um, and we actually don't have printed instructions inside of our game. Uh, this is the first time I've made, I've made 160 games. This is the first time I've not included instructions. And I think there are two big reasons. The biggest is just, this is a living, breathing document here. Like, <laughs> we, we don't know the final rules. We didn't, I will say, when we went, when we hit go on the publication, mm -hmm. um, there was still a lot to be sorted through. And so over the kind of couple months that it was in, in uh, production, we were working on instructions. And so now we've got written instructions and a video with the instructions, but it's on the website. So if you want to learn how to play, there's actually like, I believe we'll continue to modify the rules just like they are in pickleball, like pickleball, there are new rules every year. Um, and it will be the same with us mm. as we kind of learn better and new ways to play. I, I also love that though, because it gives the people reason to come to your website though, yeah. um, as opposed to, um, yeah, here's the instructions and that's it. Um, I think that's really interesting and that might be a byproduct of that. Yeah. It kind of keeps them closer to like the brand. As the brand. Well. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Submit your email for the instructions. Boom. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Like it. You got me thinking though, because like that's that's a good point. I, I never thought of those in those terms. And with this conversation around what you guys do and retention, you know, another element where we could think of retention is like also like getting people to not only learn to play it, but then like posting about it. So how can we encourage to get that word of mouth going and like getting them to post it? Obviously, you mentioned the one TikTok app, uh, but like one thing we could do is like on the instructions, there could be like a, you know, make, make basically like we want to communicate to them of like, you know, some incentive to like, Hey, trick shot, like or, or the shot of the week or something like that. You know, we're doing some raffle yes. and then like communicating to them about like a reason for why that they would want to be posting to their social media is because they could be entered into like some raffle to win something for having the best video that week, you know? Yeah. That's yeah. I, I could definitely see that. It's all about what's the, like you said, it's what's the incentive. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a big proponent of uh, behavior change and how to get someone to change their behavior or do something. Um, and at the end of the day, it's uh, um, uh, how easy it is to do something. And then if they're motivated to do it. So it's just, just trying to check those boxes off and then that's uh, makes it easier at the end of the day. Yeah. Ooh. Just with content. So Go ahead. Yeah. I was, I was just going to add Tim. I love that you brought that up too. I've also seen like tag us on social and just get more of that awareness and be, be like, okay, put you in a raffle. Like, I think all of those ideas that sometimes might like fall through the cracks or will be super interesting for you all to explore as you start seeing, you know, more and more, um, awareness and, uh, traffic to your website and sales, um, super mm -hmm. exciting stuff for you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Mariah's a, a, a TikTok proponent. I'm going to say it like that. I am not. <laughs> but once we start seeing on TikTok, I'm sure Mariah will uh, let us all know. Well, Mariah, post about us on TikTok. <laughs> She's an influencer. Yeah. Influence, please. Please influence. <laughs> influence. <laughs> influence, please. It's easy. Oh, that's I'll, funny. Just, I'll just throw this out there. Uh, we are currently looking for someone to help us with our social media. So if you guys know of anyone, you are you trying to steal Mariah from me <laughs> right now on listening. the podcast? Listening. But yes, Mariah, <laughs> Mariah, let's talk. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is this so, is I love, this is like Brian's nightmare right now. <laughs> or is it your dream, Brian? Who knows? Oh, um, oh, no. I know that was, that was a low blow. No, I'm just was, kidding. 
Um, no, definitely though. Will, more than willing to talk like strategy and help anyway. Again, seriously. Well, I just sorry. Last thing on the subject, like Go I ahead. just saw. Well, I just saw that. Um, uh, right, like if you just think of marketing, um, a, a normal hire that you think of is like a content marketing hire, right? And and there's now um, just a lot more talk around. You know, find the platform, right? Like find like a tick someone that like understands everything there is about TikTok instead of this general content marketing hire. Um, it, and what we've learned from the pre- previous podcast uh, that we did was uh, TikTok over, is it Instagram Reels? Is that what it is? Because people just post what they have on TikTok and Instagram Reels. So it's just what, a piece of content for TikTok and then you just post it everywhere else. That's how I understand it. Don't have right. to reinvent yeah. the wheel. Right? No. We heard the same thing. Um, yeah, I think it's also like you you grow into certain roles. Like for right now, we admittedly are looking for more of like a generalist, you know, but um, yeah, at this stage. ultimately it would be nice to where like we are very uh, segmented in terms of like, you know, we have a certain TikTok strategy, a certain Instagram strategy and, you know, and so you'll on. get there. We'll yeah. get there. YouTube, I think is another, you know, good one for us. Maybe more like educational content, how to play rules, things like that. So hmm. There's so right. many things for you all to go into. Um, I know. Just we'll have to come. We'll have to come back and have you guys back on and yeah. walk through all the strategy, all the learnings. Um, but this has been so fun. I think it's rare that we get to chat with someone who's so early in the stage, and so it's definitely a different perspective to hear. But all the same, um, you know, it's it's so influential to hear about all the different things that you both are considering as Paddle Smash is growing as we speak. Right? It's it's fascinating yeah. to hear. So thank you for coming on and sharing with us. Yeah. We, sold, yeah. we sold two while we've been on the call together. So. I was going to ask you if you get notified by every single transaction. Well, you bet I do, right on my watch. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> I know, is is that, that why... Wait, is that what it was? <laughs> I think so. I mean, oh. I think it, it like activates it and then it hears me talking. But yeah, I mean, I still have the like, it's like a Pavlov experiment. Yes. Like every time my watch buzzes, I'm like, is it a paddle smash sale? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hopeless, I love it. You need to connect it to like your doorbell at home too, where it just like announces to the entire house, like we have sold another one. I think that's <laughs> healthy. My yeah, that's, you want everyone to know. You want all the family to know that yeah. you're doing some good work. That's what's important. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Okay. Well, it's been great chatting with you both. Thank you again. Thank you guys. Thanks guys.